Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Roadmap from Auto Finance News since 1996, the nation's leading newsletter on automotive lending and leasing. It's Monday, July 17th, and I'm Joey Pizzolatto, joined by Amanda Harris, Riley Wolfbauer, and Johnny Martinez. This is our weekly wrap on what happened in auto finance for the week ending July 14th, 2023. In general economic news, U.S. inflation hit a two-year low in June, giving fresh credence that the Federal Reserve will pause its most aggressive rate hike campaign in decades. Headline CPI rose 3% last month from a year ago, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. From May, it advanced 0.2%. Core CPI, which excludes food and energy and is the metric economists view as a better gauge of inflation, rose 4.8% year-over-year. Apollo Global Management Chief Economist Torsten Slock said last week that consumer and corporate markets are beginning to feel the squeeze of the Fed's aggressive rake hike campaign despite other positive macroeconomic indicators. Auto delinquencies have been on the rise and are expected to continue to tick up. Many consumers received a boost to their credit scores over the course of the pandemic thanks to government assistance program, foreclosure moratoriums, and forced savings, according to TransUnion. In auto finance, used vehicle values fell sequentially for the third straight month in June, setting the groundwork for a potential rise in retail sales heading into the fall. The Mannheim Used Vehicle Value Index declined 4.2% month-over-month and 10.3% year-over-year to 215.1% in June, marking one of the largest sequential declines in the history of the index, according to Cox Automotive. The year-over-year decline marks the 10th straight month's the tenth straight month, excuse me, the index has fallen on a year-over-year basis, somewhat offsetting the huge rise in prices the industry saw over the last few years. On the labor front, used vehicle retailer Ship Technologies terminated 34% of its workforce last week amid a restructuring to focus on the company's omni-channel sales strategy. San Francisco-based Shift is also divesting from its dealer marketplace business, which it acquired from defunct leasing startup Fair in May 2022 to, quote, focus on core operations, according to a filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission's Commission, singular. The cuts include 60% of centralized operations roles, along with technology positions allocated to its dealer marketplace, according to the retailer. The reduction is expected to result in $14 million in annualized SG&A savings and about 900000 in non-recurring charges related to employee severance costs. Second quarter earnings kicked off Friday with Chase Auto and Wells Fargo reporting. Amanda, what were the results? Sure. So, so far, I mean, I say so far is only two, <laughs> but mixed results between the two that are reported. Um, so far in the quarter. So Chase Auto's originations actually went up, so about 30% sequentially and 71% year over year, totaling about $12 billion. And that's largely due, you know, inventory that we've been talking about is coming back. So that is definitely helping. Vehicle sales have been healthy. So obviously that's going to help origination volume. And then obviously we've been talking about the fact that banks, at least some banks, especially regional banks, have been pulling back on auto. We've reported quite a few that have either, you know, pulled back or left the space entirely. That's obviously going to open the door for other banks to potentially step in. So Chase Auto taking a little bit of advantage of that. And that's contributing as well. And their outstandings went up about 2% 
sequentially and about 2% year over year, standing at about $82 billion during the quarter. Uh, Wells Fargo saw kind of an opposite. Their originations actually did um, dip down, not too, too crazy. They were down about 11% year over year to about $4.8 billion. And their outstandings dropped about 7% year over year and 2% sequentially to about $52 billion. So they saw a little bit of a dip. Again, I think we're going to see this kind of play out differently depending on banks' appetite for auto and, you know, their their appetite for lending in general, given the volatility in the market. So I think as more earnings come out, we'll, we'll see pretty much mixed results across the board. So we'll just kind of have to see who who gains and who falls, depending. Um, at the same time, credit performance really in line with everyone's expectation. Um, at Wells Fargo, credit performance did go down a little bit. Delinquencies came up some, about 2.55%. They were sitting at for loans 30 plus days delinquent, which is up 60 basis points year over year. Uh, net charge-offs did go um, up a little bit year over year, even though they went down somewhat sequentially. So again, everyone kind of expected delinquencies to go up some, at least over on a year-over-year -year basis. So that'll probably be mixed as well. And then Chase also saw, you know, credit performance in line with their expectations with delinquencies rising some uh, 30 plus days past due, loans up just like 0.92%, so, or at 0.92%, so up two basis points sequentially and 23 basis points year-over-year. -year. So not anything major, not seeing like huge jumps in, you know, late loans or anything like that, no huge red flags. And that's kind of what we expected going into the rest of the year is that delinquencies would tick up some, but there's nothing really pinpointing to a major recession, nothing really pinpointing to people not being able to, you know, pay their loans. We know consumers still put their auto loans pretty high up on the payment hierarchy. So from everything I'm hearing, you know, it's likely going to go up some but not anything that's going to be a huge red flag. Uh, we are seeing banks build their allowances some, but they really haven't haven't built them too much yet. Both Wells Fargo and Chase had a little bit um, of a, their allowance is still sitting pretty in, pretty in line with where it was a year ago. So I'm not seeing any huge jumps there either. That could change um, as you know more strict requirements might come down the road for banks. So we'll have to just see how that plays out in their allowances in future earnings but for now everything is kind of kind of just holding steady for banks so we'll see how the rest of them play out as more report later this week and then into um later this month as well right so i'll be very interested to see who is padding their provisions and who is not this week the rest of banks report their earnings so that would be bank of america ally financial capital one u.s bank fifth third pnc Truist, Citizens, Huntington, and Tesla all report this week. Meanwhile, monthly payments continue to climb in Q2. Riley, what's happening on that front? Yeah, monthly payments once again reached a record high. Uh, in another quarter, it, monthly payments on average got up to $733 on new vehicle financing in the second quarter, which is up 0.4% from the first quarter and just about 8% year over year. Uh, when we first saw monthly payments begin to rise during COVID, that was mostly motivated by elevated sticker prices, OEMs making the higher trim models. But now the monthly payments are being propped up mostly by the high interest rates that consumers are being charged. Um, so the average amount that consumers financed actually remained pretty flat in the second 
second quarter, it came in just above $40,000, which is a decrease of 0.3% sequentially and 0.6% year over year. So since that stayed relatively the same, the average APRs are what increased. Um, they were up 10 basis points quarter over quarter and 210 basis points year over year to an average of 7.1%. So those increased, that large increase in interest rates is what's propping up uh, monthly payments. So with that, consumers who pay are paying $1,000 a month also increased to a record 17.1% of consumers. That's up compared with 16.8% in the first quarter and in pre-pandemic 2019 for reference, uh, can only 4.3% of consumers paid $1,000 or more. Um, of the consumers who are paying $1,000, it's generally separated into two groups. It's consumers who have a low interest rate, have the budget to make that $1,000 monthly payment. So they take like a 24-month or 36-month loan with a low interest rate, but with the high vehicle values, that's going to push your monthly payment well into the thousands of dollars when you're making the payments back in such a short amount of time. Then on the other hand, we have the consumers that have to take the high interest rates, are trying to spread their budget out. So they're taking the 67, the 84 month loans. And with their high interest rates, they're pushing their payments above $1,000. So it's two consumers that are kind of being faced with this, one with a squeeze budget that's trying to stretch it out, but with the high interest rates and high payments, you can't really do much stretching out to limit payments. And then the consumers who are trying to save on interest rate and finance it over a shorter term. Right. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, fresh data from the Federal Reserve um, points to 14.2 percent of auto loan applications being rejected. And we're going to have to do some digging into this. But I wonder if those monthly payments are pushing up PTI ratios and resulting in more. Uh, declines there there I mean there's a, obviously a, a a slew of other factors um you know DTI um LTVs uh just the price of vehicles in general um that could be pushing down applications but we'll certainly be looking into you know what exactly is driving that that decline in you know if it's if it's those monthly payments being the culprit on the power sports front, uh, Johnny reported on RVs last week. So what's going on there? Yeah, so in terms of RVs, you know, we found out about RV values, what they've been uh, did in the month of May. So it's a little bit of back data. But what we're seeing is the values are starting to kind of stabilize. While they went up for motorhomes and up for towables, if you started to put a trend line over the last six months, even to the last year, it's becoming fairly stable. We're starting to see, hey, here's where values are going to kind of sit to an extent coming out of the pandemic. <clears throat> so even in an environment where auction volumes down, registrations are down, shipments are down, it's more so the market stabilizing rather than you know anything of concern. And I was talking with Eric Lawrence, Black Book's principal analyst of specialty vehicles, and he was talking about, yeah, it's just a lot of the dealer inventory is starting to catch up to where it kind of needs to be. They're not really needing a ton of the new space in the used space. They're pretty consistent with what they have, and it's just moving through the inventory. So even though there's a lot of stuff that's down, you're seeing an overall stabilization in the market, and there's kind of the expectation that that's going to continue uh, barring 
anything significant changing, which, you know, we've heard talk of in inflation concerns, recessionary concerns going back for a significant amount of time. And there's still not this, this panic in the RV market yet. So, you know, there, there's reason to believe that we're going to kind of stay steady, even though stuff is overall declined. It's a, in a stable place for the RV market. Right. And Johnny, you'll have more RV and marine coverage uh, later this week. So be on the lookout for that. Um, that about does it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us on the roadmap and be sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. We will see you online at autofinancenews.net and here next time.